Welcome to Energy Insights. In today's episode, we speak with Jana Smith about all things renewables growth, challenges and opportunities in Southeast Asia. We talk about topics including Southeast Asia's renewable potential, where countries are doing well, what countries are leading and the challenges associated with accelerating clean energy growth in the region. Jana is a researcher at Global Energy Monitor, or GEM for short, and contributed to one of its latest reports titled A Race to the Top, Southeast Asia 2024. It was great to have Jana on the show, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, we're here with Jana Smith. Jana, thank you so much for coming on Energy Insights. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So before we get started in the episode, Jana, I'm just wondering if you can give us a brief background on on who you are and where you're working right now and what you're working on in particular, if there's anything. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Jana. Um, I'm a researcher with Global Energy Monitor, um, also known as GEM. Um, I've been conducting research with them for just over two years, uh, mainly on solar and wind um, development, and then particularly in Southeast Asia. And so I guess what we're talking about today is a report that we released um, focusing on wind and solar development in Southeast Asia. Uh, It's part of a series that we do called Race to the Top. And so we just look at what that buildup looks like and provide more context. Um, And a little bit about Global Energy Monitor is we provide data on various energy sources. Um, We have coal, gas infrastructure, hydropower, geothermal, and solar and wind. Um, And this data is used um, by as like an international reference point for various organizations, um, Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change, for instance, Uh, the United Nations, and also the World Bank. Um, And then it's also used by industry data providers such as Bloomberg Terminals and The Economist. And then because it's fully open access, um, anyone can go to our website and download the data. Um, Universities use it, academics, and also just civil society. Awesome. Now, I think it's, yeah, I do want to talk about that report on Southeast Asia's renewable developments, but I think it's worth, for example, right now, if we mention why Southeast Asia is so important when we're speaking from a global context in terms of energy. So I guess from your vantage point, what is what makes Southeast Asia so important with the energy that it produces and consumes? Southeast Asia uh, is quickly becoming a hub for economic development, and they also have an increasing population. Uh, And so this means that they're um, needing more energy to meet both of those demands. Um, And for a little context there, um, between 2015 and 2020, uh, the global energy demand increased by about 16% um, as an average across the world. But for Southeast Asia specifically, it grew by 22%. Um, and it's likely to continue increasing because of this economic and population development. And so this means that Southeast Asia is kind of at a crossroads for how that energy development can be met. Uh, it can use fossil fuels, renewable energy, and also energy imports. Um, and so with the world aiming to triple renewables, Southeast Asia can play an important part in um, getting us there because of some significant perspective capacity which I can talk about a little bit later. 
Um, and it's also important to remember that in kind of the context of climate change, that Southeast Asia is particularly vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. And this is something that we're all already seeing um, with flooding, droughts, changes in monsoon seasons. Um, and so they're really at the front lines of the energy transition, not only in being able to develop their renewable energy capacity and change their kind of energy profile, but also because it's something that they're already experiencing there. Now, in the report, it mentions that ASEAN, which is, of course, the consortium of, of Southeast Asian countries, they have a renewable energy target. So I'm just wondering if we could talk a little more about that and, and I guess, touch on what growth has been like in, in, the, in terms of renewables across, across Southeast Asia. So the energy target that we focus on in the report is that ASEAN has a goal of producing 35% of its energy capacity from renewable sources by 2025. And so that's um, an average across all ASEAN member states. Um, And they're currently at 32%. And this breakdown includes sources like bioenergy, geothermal, hydropower, and solar and wind. We've seen a 20% increase in the um, solar and wind capacity that's been added in ASEAN countries since 2023. And so they have just under 30 gigawatts of utility scale solar and wind currently in operation. And just like a baseline for context, one gigawatt of renewable energy can provide enough electricity for about a million homes. And that's just blanket across all countries. So there's a little bit of nuance that can be added because um, the demand changes with the consumer, but hopefully that provides a little bit of context. Um, So when we're looking at this goal, it's important to remain kind of critical of what that target is. And so because they're so close to it, they're at 32% now, and they only need to get to 35% in the next couple of years or two years, essentially. They can do that with solar and wind because of the perspective and operating capacity that they have. And so they only need to add an additional 17 gigawatts of utility scale solar and wind to meet that. There are some complications with that number though, um, because the region currently has um, only 3% of their perspective capacity in construction, and that's below the global average, which is at about 7%, barring China. Another kind of challenge of this energy target is that we can look at it as being kind of relatively unambitious. Um, Because they're so close to it, we have to wonder why that's, you know, maybe it was set too low, for instance. Um, And this also, because it's an average across all all the countries, it allows for countries that have lower operating capacity um, to kind of be supported by those that are working really hard at meeting their targets. Now there were there's a but there's one thing in the report that I, I found particularly interesting. For example, is that the mention of Southeast Asia's offshore wind potential compared to say its onshore wind potential. Now this is of course a overall good thing, um, but there have been issues, for example, in other parts of the world in in rolling offshore wind out. I'm just wondering if you can foresee some similar challenges for Southeast Asia as they, if they try and scale, if countries try and scale up their offshore wind. So just for a little context, for ASEAN countries, they have almost five times more perspective offshore wind than perspective onshore 
um, for the region. And this is pretty significant because, like you said, of the challenges associated with um, offshore wind development. And some of those are, you know, it, it takes a lot more investment. Uh, the timeline for putting those projects into operation is longer. Um, and then also it's a really new industry that's affected by um, changes in the supply chain, uh, which has also been a global challenge with um, supply chain dis disruptions. And so they currently only have two gigawatts of operating offshore of their total nine gigawatts of wind capacity. Um, and so it's still a very new sector, but it can be supported mainly through um, transparent policy that countries are able to roll out that provide a roadmap for investors and developers of these projects to um, bring those into operation. And there's also, you know, growing interest and concern about the impact that offshore wind has on communities that rely heavily on um, fishing and um, on that coastal line access. And again, these are things that can be facilitated by um, greater involvement in community development for these projects as well. So um, Southeast Asia is definitely not isolated in, um, in terms of how they're impacted by these challenges. Are there any, for example, one thing that jumps to mind right now is I wanted to get your thoughts on, are there any, for example, countries that are in Southeast Asia that are leading the pack, so to speak, in terms of how much renewable energy output they are they are producing, for example? Is one country or a, a few countries doing better than the others? Uh, yeah. So when we think about kind of standout countries in Southeast Asia, we look at both um, their current operating capacity, but also their prospective capacity or the potential capacity that's um, kind of already on the table, um, either through finance, financial and uh, announcements, but also um, projects that are moving through regulatory bodies to go into construction and then further operation. And currently in Southeast Asia, Vietnam has the largest operating capacity with just about 20 gigawatts. And then Thailand and the Philippines in second and third place um, also have about three gigawatts each. And then in terms of perspective, um, we see kind of a really big jump. The Philippines has 99 gigawatts. Vietnam has uh, just about 85 gigawatts. And so that puts them in uh, the top 10 uh, for global perspective capacity. Um, but there's also a standout of Laos as um, they have a, a relatively large perspective capacity in comparison to the size of their economy. Uh, for instance, they have about three gigawatts um, in perspective capacity, which is what Thailand has currently in operation, but Laos just only a fraction of the size of uh, their economies, only a fraction of the size. Yeah, in, in, the, in the case of Laos, for example, I, I, I recall in the report that it hasn't got that much perspective capacity it has, but in terms of actual generating electricity capacity right now in terms of renewables is quite low. I'm just wondering why that's the case. Yeah, so Laos currently has a, a pretty substantial amount of operating hydropower. 
in comparison to its solar and wind development. And this is largely, you know, you can see this across most Southeast Asian countries. This is a really new sector. And Laos, you know, it's, it's landlocked, but they do have a lot of potential. And they have a lot of potential to also um, foster partnerships with other Southeast Asian countries to export their renewable energy. And so because of this, developing these partnerships, uh, their renewable energy sector, particularly for solar and wind, has been expanding pretty rapidly. Uh, there's ongoing negotiations with Singapore to create kind of under underwater um, energy cables to be able to provide Singapore with um, solar and wind uh, capacity. And so, you know, that's we're seeing that across Southeast Asia is that there's a lot of excitement and a lot of buildup of um, perspective capacity. There's over, over 200 gigawatts in the whole region um, because it's a new sector and there's hints in policy that, that this is something that um, countries can prioritize. And now I just wanted to, I guess, shift a little bit to some countries in the in the region that aren't progressing particularly well, uh, according to the report. Now there are there are some major economies that aren't rolling out renewables, you know, a, at the speed of say say the Philippines or the Viet, or the Vietnam's of Southeast Asia. I'm just wondering why what your diagnosis is on on why this is the case. Why are some countries, I guess, falling behind in terms of renewables renewables capacity on and and, and generation? Yeah. So. Every country has a unique um, approach to their renewable energy sector. And so it's, it's, I think we can all agree that comparing, for instance, Brunei and their energy capacity buildup to Vietnam, for instance, is, can be an unfair comparison um, because the size of the country, the potential, and then also the, the economy looks really different. Um, but when we look at uh, countries that have larger economies um, and more active renewable energy sectors, that's where we can look at why the buildup is moving relatively slowly. And if we look at Indonesia, for instance, which is a country that um, you know has the largest economy in Southeast Asia, um, but they only have a fraction of their energy sector comes from renewable energy. And uh, part of this is because of the prioritization of uh, fossil fuels in their energy policy that's made it difficult for renewable uh, for solar and wind developers to feel like they are welcomed into the sector. And then we've also seen very low construction rates for projects across Southeast Asia. And part of this is also, you know, there are hurdles with grid infrastructure, but also the way that policy is relatively unsupportive of the buildup of renewable energy as a priority for the energy transition. Um, an example of this is um, countries, Indonesia, Philippines, and also Vietnam, which are kind of the countries that we would expect to have the, the biggest uh, renewable energy build out, are prioritizing the use of gas infrastructure as a transition fuel uh, from coal-based power to renewable energy. And this doesn't, you know, this sends mixed messaging to 
um, Solar and Wind developers as to how their projects will be effectively integrated into the grid. Do you think that, for example, the the recent Jet P deals that I know Indonesia and Vietnam have just signed on for, do you think that these will change what you've just mentioned in terms of giving different signals to solar and wind developers um, in, in those countries that are, that are more, I guess, looking towards uh, transition fuels like gas and, and, of course, other fossil fuels? So I can just briefly go over what the Just Energy Transition Partnerships are, um, just to kind of def- how we've defined it in the paper Uh, So there's kind of two parts to these partnerships. There's the financial part, which is the um, partnerships with G7 countries that provide um, private public loans um, and then also some grants. Um, And then there's also the the just element of these partnerships, which requires um, the active participation of civil society and environmental experts and activists in developing programs and systems to effectively move forward with an energy transition so that people and their perspectives are involved so that it can be supportive of everyone, you know, facing climate change, for instance. And so during the process of setting these up, because it's an ongoing process, no kind of nothing set in stone at this point for either Vietnam um, or Indonesia, there there's a lot of possibility for uh, funding around uh, updating infrastructure. And Vietnam also, in some of their recent policies, have um, stated that they're prioritizing uh, integrating solar projects that are kind of on hold at the moment as part of their Just Energy Transition Partnership uh, negotiations. But at the same time, Uh, There have been a lot of delays in these negotiations, and part of that is because of the continued support for their fossil fuel industries. And so Indonesia, for instance, or Vietnam and and their international partners um, must make clear, focused, and ambitious goals uh, to to address the energy transition. You mentioned their infrastructure, and I I think that that brings me to, I guess, it makes me think about aging grids across Southeast Asia. And of course, this is not a problem that is unique to Southeast Asia. I think aging grids are an issue elsewhere in the world, whether that's in the US or whether that's in Europe. So I'm, I'm just wondering if, what are your thoughts on how countries in, in Southeast Asia, for example, can, can, I guess, address this issue of aging grids to basically get the electricity to the people? It's really important for countries in Southeast Asia to provide clear and supportive policy around the renewable energy uh, implementation. And this also requires being transparent about what the grid infrastructure challenges are for, for investors and developers of these projects. And so something that was has been a deterrent, particularly in Vietnam, is that there are projects that are not operating at full capacity um, because of the need for uh, improvement to the grid infrastructure. And so it's important for these countries to 
prioritize renewable energy in their grid over fossil fuels, which has been kind of the the precedent and how their their grids have been operating up until this point. Yanisweth, thank you so much for your time. And I'm just wondering, before we sign off, I'm just wondering if you can give listeners a way to to follow your work or either or either Global Energy Monitor's work. Is there anywhere that you would like to point them to to go? Uh, yeah, you can find Global Energy Monitor on the internet, globalenergymonitor.com. Uh, if you're interested in any energy information, we have a lot of it. <laughs> So, yeah, please read the report and the future ones that we put out. Thank you so much, Yana. It was a pleasure to talk to you. If you found this episode valuable, please don't forget to subscribe to our channel, share it with your friends or colleagues, and visit our website at energytracker.asia for more. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Energy Insights.